welcome back to you know what i've been wondering i'm sarah i'm jane how are you doing i'm doing good we spent yesterday doing like a overall good clean of my room oh we did um and it's it's a whole new world you know it looks so good they're so so good there's so many things that i i feel like i can do now because before like i I couldn't tell you why i had this this reasoning Mm -hmm. but there were so many things in my life that i was like i can't do that my room's messy and (laughs) (laughs) and now i can do them yoga i was like no i can't do yoga my room's messy you wouldn't you couldn't do yoga in your room even if it was clean it's not big enough you have to do it in the common room yeah exactly so that's how i'm doing this weekend how are you i'm good it just feels really good to do like a deep clean yeah like i feel like cleaning sometimes is just shuffling around items mm-hmm. until you're like that looks cleaner but like <laughs> it was really nice it felt really good like when i organized my makeup drawer it felt mm-hmm. really good to organize your makeup drawer because <laughs> then it's not just like i'm putting things in a drawer it's like no i'm finding a home you know yeah. like it just there's something so satisfying about that yeah oh, i love that feeling i'm good i have a lot of work to do for school today because i'm starting to teach a new class Ooh. this thursday which is very exciting um so i have to start working on my new lesson plan now that the old class is over so i have to i'm thinking about that um i got an air purifier in my room can you feel the difference um I can. <laughs> because I mean, I'm not hacking, which is what I do like half the time lately, but I my room had gotten so dusty just from like the fan and things like that and mm-hmm. like the dust coming because I have a window unit. So the dust was coming in through the air mm-hmm. and attaching on the fan and then the fan would be on and it was spraying dust everywhere. Like I can already tell my surfaces are less dusty. There used to be all this dust in like the corners that is slowly kind of dissipated mm-hmm. with the air purifier being on and I and now when I sleep I don't wake up coughing, which was happening mm-hmm. to me a lot. So that was a very exciting development for me. This is not sponsored by air purifiers, but should no, be. it we should be. <laughs> it should be. Thank you. Thank you for helping me breathe. Um, because I didn't know what to do. I kept waking up and like guzzling water, but there was just all this dust in my throat. It was gross. It was like the dust bowl in here. Um, I literally said to Jane, "We don't live on the prairie." <laughs> I don't know why this is happening to me. Um, I also had a very exciting Friday because guess what I did for the first time. What'd you do? I broke a board in karate. <gasps> oh, yeah, you did. I did not take karate. My students take karate. They broke some boards and there was an extra. And they were like, do it. And I did it. Nice. It felt really satisfying. I was talking to one of the other dads that did it. And he was like, it's one of those things that, things that you always you have wanted that, like, to do. Dad. No. So one of the other dads. <laughs> yeah, like I'm a father. Yeah. <laughs> Me and the dads were, ch- were, were chatting. No, I was talking to one of the karate students' dads, and he was like, it's something I've always wanted to do. And I said, it was very satisfying. Like, it felt really good, you know, to just break some things. <laughs> so that's how I'm doing. Yeah. Shall we start talking about February 2nd for a very long time? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, February 2nd is the Super Bowl, right? Sarah? Yes, it is. Sorry, I'm reading a text. Hold on, let me respond to this text. Oh, no, you're fine. This is going to sound so dumb. Who Do you know who's playing? The Chiefs and the 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I've gotten a lot more into football in the last year and a half because my students are really into football. Yeah. Um, so I started paying attention a lot more so that I could talk to them about it. Um, like if you, like last year, I wouldn't. I didn't know who was in the Super Bowl. 
um, <laughs> at all. And the year before that, I knew because, of course, it was the Eagles. Um, February fourth, two thousand eighteen, best day of my life. Um, <laughs> shout out to the shout out to the Eagles. But um, yeah, it's the Chiefs and the Forty Niners. What is a Forty Niner? That is a good question. <laughs> you know what? You start talking, and I'm gonna tell you. Oh, okay. Um, any, we were. I was gonna say a little quick story about this very specific topic because now that you mentioned the Chiefs, I'm remembering that we were in Target on Friday night, and Sarah passed a bunch of chips that were like different colors, <laughs> and I said. She was like, which color chip should I get? And I said, I could tell they were part of a Super Bowl display, although I didn't know, like, what the teams were. And I was like, well, I don't know. What team are we supposed to be rooting for? And she, and she <laughs> different bag of chips. <laughs> oh, no, no. She said, well, the Chiefs. But I thought she said, well, the cheese. And I was like, the cheese is a football team? <laughs> it is not. Although, maybe it should be. That'd be kind of funny. Um, what I had been trying to say, I said, well, the Chiefs are playing, but I'm rooting for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. But what I ended up saying was, well, the Chiefs. And then later I was like, I don't need to backtrack. I'm not rooting for the Chiefs. I am rooting for the 49ers. I'm still trying to figure out what a 49er. Okay. Which the, but speaking of cheese, the Packers, yes, they're the Packers, but it's Wisconsin. So they all wear the cheese heads. Right. Wasn't there a character in Scooby-Doo that was a miner and his name was like Miner 49er? Yeah, there was. Now that's a... <laughs> I only know that from the live action Scooby-Doo movie. Let's get into the history of American football, which is what you asked me about. Now, I spent a lot of time looking for the moment that some American man (laughs) looked at a soccer ball and went, what if we carried this around? What if we picked this up and were allowed to use our hands? No, 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 no. That's not really how it happened. (laughs) That's supremely disappointing. Yes, I'm sorry. And I I would like to apologize to the people in, in Europe who... Um, no foot no what we call soccer is football i know that that is the like original Mm -hmm. and you are correct but i i don't know if i'm gonna be able to say american football every time that's fine so i might say football a couple times just meaning american football um a 49er your scooby-doo trivia was helpful a 49er is a nickname for a minor or somebody else that took part in the 1849 california gold rush so that's why they're called the 49ers oh cool cool in honor of the miners cool, 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 cool So uh, the history of American football can really be traced back to very early versions of rugby and soccer kind of combined. In ancient Greece, men played a game called Episkuros, where they tried to throw a ball over a scrimmage while avoiding tackles, which I'm like, okay, explain to me. that. See, I don't know a lot about football. So I'm like, so the difference is... (laughs) Anyway, in medieval Europe, there were actually a lot of archaic forms of something similar to rugby or football or American football. (laughs) This is kind of my favorite um, fun fact about football that I learned that there used to be this thing in England called mob football. (laughs) It was um, this like old form of football that was literally like towns and villages would play against each other Mm -hmm. and like one team would go to the other town and there were unlimited numbers of players who could play so you're oh. like whoever wants to come play you can be on your team's team ah yikes your, <laughs> you can be on your village's team and they like the two towns would literally fight to see who could drag an, impl- an inflated pig's bladder 
<laughs> to specific markers at each end of the town. And there was only one rule, and that was that no one could die. What? Yeah, you couldn't commit manslaughter or murder, but anything else was fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> this reminds me of the opening of Gangs of New York. Have you seen that movie? No. Um, I just watched it for the first time. I was about to be like, Jane, you haven't seen Gangs of New York, but I was like, I literally just watched it for the first time a month ago. So that would just be me being an asshole. Um, it's like at the beginning, Daniel Day Lewis is in it and he yeah. like leads this gang and these five gangs meet and they all like have a crazy fight. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that, except with a ball. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm assuming this is why um, when we say tossing the pig skin, it's because like old footballs were literally made from parts of pigs. Yes. Yeah. So no manslaughter, no murder, anything else, fine. As long as you get the pig's bladder to your end of the Ugh. town. <laughs> That's so gross. Um, in 1835 in England, there was this thing called the Highway Act, and that banned the playing of the, not just not football alone, but like games in general, like physical games along public highways, and that really just kind of ended mob football and just playing having large groups of people playing insane public games in public areas like that. Yeah. like, they were just trying to shut down those types of activities, keep them more regulated, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there were some mentions of indigenous tribes playing football-like games, mm-hmm. but there's very little evidence that those influenced Europe- European football forms. Okay. Football is actually an umbrella term for all three of the games that are kind of similar to football, the full name of rugby is rugby football. Oh. And soccer, or what Americans call soccer, its full name is association football. Okay. Uh, because there's this group in England called the Football Association. Okay. Which was formed in 1863, and it's the oldest football association in the world, and it is responsible for overseeing all aspects of professional football games in its territory and game rules and... Yeah. As it's played. So soccer like the more like technically correct term is association football okay football that is overseen by this group of people that made a specific set of rules Mm -hmm. and the and football's full name is american football so it's like rugby football association football and american football yes it's all technically the same sport but three different kinds yeah okay yeah um, they all came from varieties of football which were played in Britain in the mid-19th centuries, one of which was mob football, as we talked about already. All of them involved a ball being kicked to a goal or over a line or thrown, which is based on various English public school games. That's cool. Which I'm just trying to think now, like, what if someday there was, like, a major league sport that was just four square? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> did you ever play mat ball? No. Okay, it's like kick. It's essentially kickball, but you play it inside. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I saw this tweet recently that was like, um, um, the inventor of all sports. What if I tried to put this ball somewhere and you tried to stop me? <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> um, which I just realized I'm shocked I've never seen my students play kickball because we played kickball constantly in in elementary school but mat ball is like kickball inside except you use the big like gymnastics mats so you can fit instead of it being kickball where everyone we could only have one person on a base at a time Mm. like like baseball it's however many people fit on that mat (laughs) can stay there so at one point it would be 
be like, you'd kick it and you'd have the whole team on first base. <laughs> Someone would have to cycle back <laughs> to kick the ball. It was insane. But I loved it. That's wow. funny. I loved Matt Ball. I should play that at my school. My kids would get a kick out of it. That's really funny. <laughs> They'd get a kick out of it. <laughs> anyway. Are your toes cold? No, I was thinking about going to get my slippers, but they're, I mean, they're a little cold. My toes chilly. are a little cold. I'm going to reach over and get a blanket. You keep talking. Okay, okay. Um, I'm talking over the lamp. <laughs> Come on. So, American. I'm boom, boom. Fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. No, everything's not fine. No blanket for Sarah. <laughs> no blanket for Sarah. Do you want me to keep going? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to point out Are my you failures. Sure you're okay? Yeah, I'll tuck in my feet. It's fine. I'm going to sit crisscross now. Okay. So American football resulted from several major divergences from association football and rugby football. Okay. Okay, so um, in 1869, Rutgers and Princeton, which at the time was called the College of New Jersey, they played a game together, which they just like decided, like, hey, you know, we should like get together and play something. And... The captain of the team that Rutgers kind of put together, his name was William J. Leggett. He made a set of rules based on the football association's first set of rules. Okay. So the, like, soccer rules, essentially. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of close to rugby. But I think it was, m- it was it was closer to soccer than American football. The rules at the time that the football association had was, like, an early attempt of former English public school students to unify the rules of the games that all the different schools were playing. Yes. And make it one thing. And um, William J. Leggett of Rutgers was trying to play that game, essentially. Mm-hmm. It bore very little resemblance to what we think of as American football today. Um, there were two teams with 25 players on each team who attempted to score by kicking the ball into the opposite team's goal. Throwing or carrying the ball was not allowed, but there was plenty of physical contact. So, like, tackling would have been allowed. Okay. Which is also a big difference that I never think about. I always think about, like, well, in soccer, you kick, and in football, you throw. But, like, also in football, there's a lot more There's a lot contact. of tackling. Yeah. yeah. And, the like, soccer, you can't... The point of football is that you're trying to stop them from getting across the field by physically yeah. halting the game. Yeah. As opposed to soccer, it's just a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Um... The first team to reach six goals was the winner. Rutgers won six to four. A week later, Princeton asked for a rematch in which they made the rules. Because remember, <laughs> Rutgers made the rules and then right. they won. Right. <laughs> so this makes t- sense. <laughs> this time, a free kick was given to any player that caught the ball on the fly. Oh. Um, this turned into modern fair kick, the modern fair catch kick rule, which I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Nope. <laughs> Great, moving on. Um, in that game, Princeton won eight to zero. <laughs> oh, <laughs> eight to zero. Yeah. All right. I seems like a third party should make the rules. Maybe. Yeah. Well, more schools wanted to participate. Columbia wanted to join the action, and then Yale, and then Stephen the, and then Stevens Institute of Technology, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of intercollegiate football playing was happening in this time of like the late eighteen hundreds, but. Again, it was every every home team always mm-hmm. made the rules. Okay. It was just like, we'll get there and we'll see what they want us to do and then we'll play. <laughs> I wish this is how life still was. Um, in 1873, 
the college students wanted to standardize the game that they were playing. Uh, so they had a conference with representatives from Yale, Columbia, Princeton, and Rutgers. On October 20th, they met at the Fifth Avenue Hotel in New York City to codify the first set of intercollegiate, intercollegiate football rules. Um, like I said, before this, the home team would always just make up whatever the rules were. Right. And they made a couple of, like, decisions that every team would agree to. Um, teams scaled down from 25 players to 20. The only way to score was to was to bat or kick the ball through opposite team goals, which I'm like, wait, y'all had bats? I'm, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm very confused. Um, y'all had bats? Yeah. There were two halves to the game, which were 45 minutes long. Fields were 140 yards long and 70 yards wide. Is that the same now? I don't know. I think so. Let me see. It's 120 yards long. Oh, okay. And 53 yards wide. Okay, so that's a, that's a little bit smaller than it was. Yeah. But yeah. The, um, the rules that they made at this conference were probably closer to football association rules than the rules that were made by another group that was recent founded around that time, which was the Rugby Football Union. Okay. So still closer to soccer than rugby. Okay. Um... <laughs> Now, Harvard refused to attend this conference because they wanted to continue playing by their rules. <laughs> Classic Harvard. Yeah. But none of the other schools that were playing with them before wanted to play with them after that. Because yeah. they were like, well, if you're not going to follow the rules that we're all going to agree to, then we don't want to play with you. <laughs> this sounds like a fight my elementary schoolers <laughs> really, would get it. It really does. <laughs> so in the meantime, they would play with the only other school that would play with them, which was McGill University from Montreal. Poor, poor Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, Harvard liked rugby rules a lot better than association football rules and soccer okay. rules. They created rugby tries, or that used rugby tries, which later would evolve into the modern touchdown. Oh, okay. This guy named Walter Camp mm -hmm. is considered to be the father of American football. He made a bunch of rule changes most notably the line of scrimmage down distance rules and the legalization of blocking oh i don't know what most of those are i can kind of guess from what they sound like but i don't really know uh, <laughs> <laughs> that means something to you congratulations yeah good job in the late 19th and early 20th century college coaches such as eddie kokums amos alonzo stag park h davis knut rockney and Glenn Pop Warner helped develop the forward pass. Now, I've definitely heard the name Pop Warner before. Yeah. I feel like that's like a league. Yeah. Or maybe something. I don't know. Um, during the first half of the 20th century, bowl games became a college football tradition. And that started getting kind of national attention. Like people would pick a, a college that they wanted to root for and like travel to go see their games. Mm -hmm. A lot of big crowds started showing up for those. And fierce rivalries started developing between colleges. A lot of colorful traditions popped up. Uh, and college, to the college football today, like separate from professional football, like still holds a lot of widespread appeal and a lot of people oh, watch there it. There are a lot of people who are really into college football, especially if you went to a college with a big football yeah. team. Like there are people who are care so much about like you pit, like Penn State, yeah. you Michigan. Like, I know a lot of people that care a lot about yeah. those football teams. My dad was saying over Christmas that his favorite sport is basketball. He mm -hmm. loves basketball. But we did watch a lot of football growing up. So I thought he 
really liked football and then someone recently was like oh you love football right dad my dad was like it's okay I prefer basketball but what I really like is college football I was like it's it was just interesting to me that he like it was so different in his mind that he'd be like I really like football but I like college football yeah it's very different yeah professional football came into existence in 1892 when the Allegheny Athletic Association which was just kind of a recreational Mm -hmm. um, football club kind of uh, they were going to play against the Pittsburgh Athletic Club, and they decided to give this guy, Willie, get ready for this name, William Pudge Heffelfinger. <laughs> this poor guy. <laughs> well, Pudge is his nickname. Okay. But I guess but if still. your last name is Heffelfinger, you're, <laughs> he probably was like, well, my last name is Heffelfinger, so give me a nickname. And someone went, Pudge, and he went, no not that nickname and they're like too late you asked for one we gave you one (laughs) you made your bed now lie in it (laughs) yeah and he was given a $500 contract to play in a game for the Allegheny Athletic Association Mm -hmm. and this was the first time that anyone was given a contract to play football professionally to be like paid to play football yeah and that, that was the first case of it and it really like started around there more and more people that was happening to them in 1920 the american professional football association football association was formed two years later they changed their name to the national football league the nfl Mm -hmm. and eventually that would become the what is considered the major league of american football sound familiar y'all y'all ever heard of this little thing called the nfl (laughs) it's just a little club (laughs) just a little group um well, it started as a sport that was mostly played by a Midwestern industrial town. It grew to be something that had national attention. Mm-hmm. The modern era of American football is considered to have started in 1932, which was the first American football game to feature... I, I underline this because I don't know what any of these things are. Hash marks, forward passes, anywhere behind the line of scrimmage, and movement of the goalpost back to the goal line. Okay. Was it at the front of the like touchdown area before, and then they were like, "No, move it back." The line of scrimmage. No, the the goal line. Yeah, the goalposts. I think used to be. Yeah, I think it used to be before the end zone, and now it's after the end. Yeah, zone. yeah, yeah. The touchdown. I called it the touchdown zone. <laughs> the touchdown zone of the end zone. Uh- <laughs> Okay, I feel like people are going to be like, you just said that you grew up watching football. Why don't you know anything about it? It's like, no, I grew up sitting on the couch coloring while other people watch football. Right. I never really looked like I would hear the screams in the background and it didn't sound appealing. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, I have effectively watched a handful of football games. Yeah. But I've been around. (laughs) Many, many. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I even went to my high school football games, but did I ever really sit and watch? No. <laughs> I watched the Super Bowl two years ago. Like, I actually sat and watched the game. Yeah. But before that, I watched the 2005 Super Bowl when the Eagles were in it. But I, other than that, it's like, I've, I glimpse it. I, gl- I glance at it. So <laughs> that's why I don't know all the terms. In the same year, 1932, uh, an American football game was played at the 1932 Summer Olympics. I don't think it was an Olympic event, but, like, one was played there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a demonstration American football game at the 1933 World's Fair. In 1934, the AP poll was introduced. Now, that's the Associated Press poll. And this (laughs) is a thing that you can read. It provides weekly rankings on the top 25 NCAA teams, NCAA teams in Mm -hmm. Division I football and men's and women's basketball. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and the first college all-star game was played in 1934, which led to further growth of professional football uh, because a lot of people were, like, scouting college football players to come play for professional teams. Mm Mm-hmm. The first Heisman Trophy was awarded in 1935. The first NFL draft happened in 1936. The first televised game happened in 1939, which sounds real early. Yeah, that's Um, crazy. And in 1958, uh, the NFL championship game was dubbed the the greatest game ever played and made American football explode into national popularity. It was something that, like, everyone was watching. Right. And... Um, in 1960, a rival league to the NFL found, was founded called the American Football League, the AFL. Mm-hmm. And But ultimately, <laughs> they decided to merge with the NFL and become one company, which was t- still just known as the NFL. Yeah. And together, they created the Super Bowl. I know how that works, the AFL versus the NFL. At the end, mm-hmm. the t- at the end, the AFL has a championship and the NFL has a championship. And then when those whatever teams wins from each of those, they play in the Super Bowl. So oh. the Super Bowl is always AFL versus NFL. And the uh. NFL has won more Super Bowls than the AFL. Oh, but it's still technically one company. But it's but I all under it's the NFL. Separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. it's yes, it's all the NFL. But yeah. then when you're in the NFL, you're, you're in one of two leagues. Yeah. Yep. Okay, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> Anytime. And to this day, the Super Bowl is the most watched annual television event. Just television, not even sports event? Yeah, I think so. That's crazy. But I think they're talking about, like, annual, like, annual televised events. So that probably includes, like, the Oscars, the, like, award shows. Um, I'm surprised that it has more views than um, the than New Year's Eve. Oh. Although, I guess, since we're in different time zones... New Year's Eve, we're really only mad. Like, it, it depends on the time zone you're in. You're going to watch a different channel. Yeah, well, not everyone watches that. Like, And also, I don't know. Like, I feel like... It doesn't surprise me. It's a thing me. you sit down and watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, like, think of the parties that revolve around the yeah. Super Bowl. Um, it's true. It is It is a really big deal. Do you want to know what a Ford Pass is? Sure. Okay, I looked it up. Obviously, I can't play the video that we just watched. So, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> let me explain. A forward pass means that if you are... That the effect, the offensive team, a forward pass is when you throw it towards your opponent's, towards your opponent's end zone. So technically, it's going backwards, um, but you're doing it just to like get it to a member of your team. Um, and you can only do it once in each down. Mm-hmm. And even if it happens unintentionally, it's still a forward pass. So if you fumble the ball and someone catches it, but it, and it goes backwards, so it's really not a forward pass because you're going backwards um when you're on offense but it's yeah that's what it means interesting football terms you know football term yeah we know about sports i like i know enough about football to be like for this is the first down this is the second down this is the third down that was a touchdown you know like (laughs) like that's it um i don't know all the terms yeah the funny thing to about me is that I went to sports camp for like 10 years and yet I don't know I know so little about sports <laughs> my dad knows a lot about sports but he just like he really didn't like force me to be into it mm-hmm. and like when I say I went to camp for 10 years like until I was 10 years old like I was just like there every summer with my parents <laughs> I only really went there when I was like six seven eight nine ten right um 
but it was like little kid versions of it and i was really more there to like talk to my friends and right (laughs) i'm just there to hang out oh you're gonna make me play oh okay fine oh i did terribly well what were we expecting like (laughs) we've talked a lot about modern football but i feel like technically the answer to your initial question Mm -hmm. was Um, like how did association football become american football and it's really more so that just like it took us all a long time to figure out like how we wanted to specifically codify this game that we were all like making up as we played yeah but, like was kind of similar a lot of ways and that you're just trying to get a ball from one end of a field of a field to another yeah and in england they like really codified it and i think and they did first like we can't give them credit like they codified it first in the uh, with association football yeah um and then rugby also kind of came around not too long after and then america just in its collegiate leagues just like played around with a lot of different styles and then ultimately was like we'll make our own it's mostly rugby but it's got a little bit of soccer yeah um and maybe we'll make up our own rules here and there yeah things that we like yeah cool that was really it yeah Thank you for that. You're welcome. That was really good information. Yeah. Yeah, so we're rooting for the 49ers, I'm telling you. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> we're rooting for the 49ers because this is, like, a very – nothing to do with football reason. The fir- the 49ers coach is the first female and gay coach to ever coach a Super Bowl game. Oh. I hope she wins. I ho- Yeah, and I want, I want her to win. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about any of the players. But I want her to win. So I'm rooting for the 49ers for that reason. They have five Super Bowl wins. If they get six, they'll be tied with the Steelers and the Pats for the most wins. Okay. I have very mixed feelings about the Patriots, and I I know you hate me for this. Well, Tom Brady might be leaving, so I might have different feelings about the Pats. Is is there Coach Bill Belichick? Well, basically, like, I I grew up in New England, so Mm -hmm. I just, like, was... Yeah, Bill Belichick. Mm. I, I like, don't – I okay, I grew up in New England, so, you know, everyone around me was huge Patriots fans, and my brother is a huge Patriots fan, although he feels very mixed about it morally now. Like, he wants his team to win, but he doesn't like Tom Brady as a person. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like Bill Belichick as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad rooted for the Patriots with us growing up, but then later in life was, like, like, I rooted for the Patriots because I wanted you guys to, like, have a home team, but, like, really, my team is the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the reveal that's so well he funny. grew up in new jersey um, okay that makes sense <laughs> yeah and so like i feel like i'm happy for my patriots friends when the patriots win but i don't i understand how the rest of the world sees them and so i feel like oh it, i it was so odd for me last year a couple years ago when it was um, the Eagles versus the Patriots because it was like no matter what happens tonight no matter who wins half of my friends are going to be furious and half of my friends are going to be happy yeah so I, I'm just here like <laughs> no I can't stand the Patriots because to me they're like the frat boys of football like these they to me have this attitude around them and I especially noticed this when they were playing the Eagles that they have this like you know that like New England concept of like rich white boys you know like that's how I feel when I look at the Pats and that's how everyone in the media treated them when they were in the Super Bowl with the Eagles because it was like truly this group of underdogs versus like this like rich haughty group of like boys yeah and so like you know, a lot of people ridiculed the Eagles 
after the 2018 Super Bowl because they were like the Eagles played dirty like all of these things and it's like they played rough and tough but like it just felt really good to see like Philadelphia's team which like Philadelphia has this really bad reputation of being this like gritty grimy like gross gangster city in a lot of ways um like a lot of people think of that when they think of Philadelphia playing against these like shiny you know very heavily awarded very celebrated team so it just felt like such a like mo it felt like one of those moments in like movies when like the underdog takes over the like champion team you know it just felt so good and I just like it drove me nuts how in the media going into that Super Bowl no one was talking as if there was a competition like everyone was acting as if it was very obvious that the Pats were going to win. And that's what made me so mad. Even during the game, I was, I I watched the game in Philadelphia. um, So I could be like with people of my, um, of the team. It was really cool. And like, we were screaming at the television because even the commentators for like the official game were talking about things as if like, there was no way the Eagles were going to win. Like the official commentators we're like, oh, well, you know, obviously Tom Brady's going to be able to, like, double back on that. Or, like, anytime the Eagles would, would make a play, they would call into question its legality and all of these mm. things. But the Pats could do no wrong. It was it was the most biased commentary I've ever heard in my life. It was infuriating. There is poverty everywhere. Not to say that everyone who lives in New England is a rich white person. That's totally not what I mean at all. Yeah. Um, it's like every city has its low-income areas every state has its low-income areas but just based off of who backs the patriots and like Mm -hmm. it was just very it was very obvious who the patriots represented you know it's not like it didn't feel like oh we represent the people of new england it's like oh we represent this very specific demographic of new england uh it just drove me nuts watching everyone in the media talk about the patriots as if they were untouchable not just because they're from Pennsylvania. I think the Steelers are a really good team. They're tied for the most Super Bowl wins. I think they're an excellent team. And every time they've been in the Super Bowl, I've rooted for them. You know, so it's not necessarily that, like, I hate the Pats because they're so awarded. It's not that. I think it's just the way that the media talks about the Patriots um, and the people who back the Patriots from New England, mm-hmm. I think, speaks to a very specific demographic that is, ve- is like, very privilege and I don't necessarily appreciate I, I definitely see what you're saying, and I, I agree with you mm-hmm. very largely. I just, I think, I mean, this is, I think this is kind of similar with a lot of people who support our president right now. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people who just don't know about stuff like that, but for mm-hmm. some reason, the culture in New England is, it's like this mob mentality of, like, we will do anything for the teams. Like, New England Patriots, like, they're technically... Like, yeah, it's the whole region, but we're the same way for the Celtics. I'm mm. from Maine. We still, like, everyone's diehard Celtics. Mm, yeah. Like, the Boston te- Boston Red Sox. I mean, oh, we don't yeah. really have a Maine sports team, but Maine baseball team. But it's, like, the – I mean, I feel like it's kind of like that everywhere, though. Like, we root, mentality, yeah. of, Like, we, do, we will do anything for our team. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because we will do anything for our team, there is not exactly an ignorance, but, like, a – 
it, it, the information is not being spread of the the people that don't that yeah. are backers of the Patriots and how shady they their coach and and Tom Brady and other people associated with them behave. Yeah. Um. So like that's definitely not to say that all Patriots fans are like these like elite people. No, definitely not. I, I do think there's a lot of people who love the Patriots who don't even know about that. But that yeah. is why the rest of the world sees them that way. Yeah. And I definitely get that now, having spent a lot of time out, out of, of New, New England, England. Yeah. hearing other sports fans' points of view. Yeah. For me, it's not the fans of the Patriots. Like, I have many friends who are Patriots fans. I have no problem with my, yeah. I have no problem with people being fans of the Patriots. Yeah. But I think you can learn a lot about sports teams and celebrities, too, in the way that they treat their fans. Yeah. And I just don't think the Patriots, like... I don't want to say treat their fans well, but I think they, I think they want to represent a specific demographic mm-hmm. that is not reflective of their whole, yeah, community that they technically represent. Yeah, to me, they don't feel like the New England Patriots. They feel like the Connecticut Patriots. You mm-hmm. know, in a lot of ways. Yeah, we love football. We love ranting about sports that we barely know stuff. Yeah, about. <laughs> I know more about like. The drama and the politics behind football than, like, actually how to play football. (laughs) So, there's that. Um, Are we ready to move on? Yeah, let's move on. Let's get away from the masculine world. So, my Reddit segment was, like, kind of inspired by a question on Reddit, but I thought it was a, a timely thing to talk about anyway. This question on Reddit was about the coronavirus oh yeah what's going on with that that's what i'm gonna tell you (laughs) i'm gonna tell you what's going on with that um the question that inspired me researching this is so now that we know coronavirus can be spread by someone who isn't showing symptoms yet so we have no idea how many people are infected yet is it still too early to panic and the first response was it's never a good time to panic just take safety precautions and which is a good answer (laughs) don't panic so i decided to just look up like some information about the coronavirus Mm -hmm. and share that with you because i like knew something was going on and i knew that there was a virus spreading out of china but i didn't really know a lot of the details so here are some details on that this is an article from the telegraph um so the coronavirus is broken out in china and it affected infected more than 1975 people what oh my god (gasps) oh my god oh my god you're getting live news, live reactions from us right now. I just got a notification. I have um, Entertainment Weekly notifications on on my laptop. And we just got the notification that Lakers legend Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. That's crazy. Oh, my God. Like, I don't even really follow sports that closely, and I know he's a big deal. That's so sad. That is so sad. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, he won an Oscar. Wow. Okay, that's not Speaking of sports. <laughs> Jeez, rest in peace. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That's so Oh, sad. my God. I have students that love basketball. They're going to be devastated. Um, oh, my God. That's crazy. All right, well, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. You were a hero to many. You were. Wow. Okay. Okay, well. All right, well, (laughs) this took a turn. This did. All right, back to the coronavirus. Um, The coronavirus has killed 56 people in China. Jeez. Um, The the spread of the disease um, forced Beijing to quarantine 18 major cities, locking down more than 56 million people. 
Coronaviruses are actually a family of viruses that cause illnesses that range from a cold to like more severe colds like pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically, the symptoms will include fever, fatigue, a sore throat and dry cough and may later develop into breathing difficulties. This particular strand of coronavirus is a new virus that um, had never been identified in humans before. Um, It is believed that the virus came from a seafood market in the central Chinese city of Wuhan. The city's health commission said the infection broke out between December 12th and 29th with some of the with some of the patients employed at the market. Mm-hmm. The animal source of the outbreak has not been identified, but researchers think that it could have come from bats or snakes. Mm. The Wuhan market was su- was such that the Wuhan market was shut down um, and it was home to stalls trading in many different animals including snakes, marmots and poultry. These quote unquote wet markets are very popular in China, and because essentially the appeal is that Chinese customers like to buy their meat warm, which means like recently slaughtered as opposed mm. to like going to a packing house. Yeah. Um, I mean that kind of makes sense to me. Like, is it fresher if it was? Yeah. It's not older. Like. Yeah. 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 Coronaviruses are very common in animals. They live in pigs, domestic and wild birds, bats, dogs, cats, and camels. Um, the virus will mutate inside the animal and then it will make the leap into humans. The first people who are likely to get it are people with a lot of close contact with animals. This is called the disease reservoir. So in the case of MRSA, the virus jumped to camel workers. Mm. Um, the first cases are often like low level and then the mutations occur more and more and they become more severe um, because viruses just like humans adapt and they actually adapt a lot faster Um, these viruses live in the respiratory tract um, and they spread through droplets like coughing or sneezing and they can spread up to three feet Um, they can also spread when a person touches a surface that is contaminated and then touches areas that are porous like the nose the mouth or the eyes super spreaders can catch and spread the disease and then they spread it to a very like a disproportionately what this article calls a disproportionately large number of people so one person traveling from south korea to the middle east with the virus resulted in 186 cases and 38 deaths isn't that crazy health at the point where the virus is mutated health workers are the most at risk um these illnesses present like other respiratory illnesses so health workers don't take precautions and then when the health workers start getting sick that's when we know the disease can spread um this is a currently fast-moving outbreak um cases have been found in the u.s france australia hong kong thailand malaysia south korea taiwan macau is that how you say that macaw i think it's macaw no, that's how you say it when it's a bird. Yeah, Macau is like M-A-C-A-W. This is a U. Um, I feel like Macau is probably... Macau. Macau, yeah. What did you just do? When you right-click on a word, you can ask it to speak it. Um, Jeez. Macau, Japan, and the Philippines. 14 people are currently being tested in the United Kingdom. This is a UK article, which is mm-hmm. why they bring it up. Um, since the outbreak, cases have escalated. Um, within a within a month, two people in China had died, while about forty cases have been att- had been identified. As of January twenty fifth, the virus has continued to spread internationally, with the United States having recently recorded earlier this week a second infection. Um, Nepal has identified its first and Thailand its fifth. Despite the speed and spread of the virus, experts have been surprised that the World Health Organization has not declared a global health crisis. The organization said it was still too early, but like. I don't think it's too early. 
Currently, there are more than 1,300 known cases of coronavirus. Jeez. Yeah. 41 people have died. Most experts expect this number to rise, and there is concern that China is not being honest about the spread and potential impact of the virus. There is no vaccine. Researchers in the U.S. and China have already begun working on one, but it could not be available for up to a year. Professor Robin Shattuck from Imperial College London said his team had two vaccine candidates developed from the genetic sequence of coronavirus provided by Chinese scientists, and some British experts are confident that a vaccine could be available within weeks. Um, But for now, they are trying to contain the virus. China has started building a hospital to treat patients with this specific virus. And that's really everything I have about that. The rest is about Britain specifically. Um, but that's what's going on with coronavirus. So wash your hands, everyone. Yeah, they literally, they were like, the best thing you can do is wash, is wash your hands all the time and carry hand sanitizer with you. Mm -hmm. Um, refrain from touching your face, avoid crowded, poorly ventilated public spaces. Um, (laughs) the subway, the subway, um, and they suggest (laughs) wearing masks. Um, don't go to hospitals unless necessary and limit traveling. Essentially is the suggestion. I'm hopping on Twitter to see if we've gotten any responses to what's going on with kobe bryant right now Mm. oh oh my god all of the trending are about kobe bryant kobe's trending vanessa bryant is trending please god with the like subtitle kobe bryant is trending the phrase kobe helicopter Helicopter, no no way way. nah (gasps) kobe mamba la times oh my god it's all of the trending it's every single trending is about kobe bryant that's so this is insane. Sad. This is insane. Five. I want to say that four other people died. Rest in peace to them too. Oh, yeah. He was in a helicopter with five others or four others. Wow. Okay. Kobe Bryant. Here's some stats about Kobe Bryant. Um, he's a five-time NBA champion, a two-times Finals MVP, one-time NBA Most Valuable Player, um, 18 times NBA All-Star, four times NBA All-Star Game MVP, 11 times All NBA First Team, two times All NBA Second Team, two times All NBA Third Team, nine times NBA All Defensive First Team, two-time NBA Scoring Champion, two-time um, Olympic gold medalist. <sighs> That's insane. That's crazy. Wow. Whew. That was big news to get in the middle of recording. I know. Jeez. Everybody take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Let's talk about groundhogs. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, maybe this will lighten the mood. Um. I, I do want to say that, like, while we are going to, like, try and keep, you know, smiling throughout this, that that does not mean that we are, like, making light or not having him yeah, in our hearts. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. Definitely. We weren't anticipating on getting this news. Literally. No. Literally in the middle of recording. Is this him in an Eagles jersey? I love him. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we... Oh, excuse me. Neither of us are people who follow sports that closely, but even we have heard of him. So, like, that means that he is a person that is very influential and has touched a lot of people. Yeah. And he's just a very decorated person that means a lot to a lot of people. So, yeah, it's definitely not a thing that's going to affect us the hardest. It's like we are obviously feeling sad, but yeah, but we are aware that there are people out there, people who probably we know. Yeah. um, Who this will hurt 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 and have a really big effect on, Um, you know, the basketball, especially like 
the basketball community does have a big influence on the black community of course. and things like that and his influence as a very famous black basketball player does not go unnoticed so rest in peace kobe bryant truly incredible player he will be he will be missed i think he was he but no he was retired i was gonna say was he currently playing but no he was retired Whew. okay all right here we go let's talk about groundhogs <laughs> punxatani philip punxatani philip actually it's just phil it's not full name philip he's just phil well um you ain't nothing all right. but a this is a very appropriate one for me to talk about because it's just this weird pennsylvania tradition and as a weird pennsylvanian i feel it in my heart so <laughs> here we go groundhog day is celebrated in the united states and canada on february 2nd every year um the tradition is that Puxatani phil emerges from his hole and if he sees his shadow there will be six more weeks of winter if he does not see his shadow spring will arrive early Although it's a popular tradition, there is no correlation between the groundhog seeing its shadow and the weather. There's no proven <laughs> correlation. February 2nd was chosen as the day of celebration because in ancient and modern traditions, February 2nd holds a significance as the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Ooh. The Celts celebrated Imbolc on this day, which is a pagan festival celebrating the start of spring. Imbolc eventually evolved into Candlemas as Christianity spread through Europe. Candlemas commemorates Jesus' presence at the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. In certain parts of Europe, Christians believed a sunny Candlemas meant another 40 days of winter, mm. whereas a cloudy Candlemas meant spring was coming. The Germans in particular developed their own tradition on Candlemas. In Germany, they would pronounce the day as sunny if badgers and other small animals saw their own shadows. <laughs> so they were like, no, 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 it doesn't count as sunny unless someone sees their shadow. Because mm. they didn't want it to just be like, they wanted more superstition with it. They were trying to like, yeah. they tried to have more evidence that spring was coming. Mm -hmm. um, so they're like, ah, oh, no, it's got to be a badger. So badger's got to see a shadow. <laughs> Otherwise, spring's coming. Um, this tradition was brought over to Pennsylvania by the Dutch settlers in the 18th and 19th centuries. But the groundhog native to, more th native to North America replaced the badger. Fun fact, the groundhog's Latin alias is Arctomus monax, which translates to bear rat. <laughs> so his name's literally bear rat, which I love. The first official Groundhog Day celebration was in 1887 in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. The celebration was the idea of newspaper editor Clymer Freyas, who convinced a group of businessmen and groundhog hunters to gather at a groundhog hole. They went to a site known as Gobbler's Knob, where the inaugural groundhog saw his shadow. The men <laughs> proclaimed there would be six more weeks of winter. Since then, the yearly festivities continue to become more popular, and they are still held at Gobbler's Knob in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. This now, tens of thousands of spectators attend Groundhog Day events in Puxatawney. Their regular population during the year is only 6,000, but on Groundhog's Day, they're home to 40,000 people. Jeez. Mm -hmm. um, today's festivities, this is what like, really, gets, really gets nuts, and I had no idea about any of this. Today's festivities are presided over by a group of dignitaries known as the Inner Circle. The members of the inner circle wear top hats and conduct the proceedings in a Pennsylvania Dutch dialect. They also supposedly speak to Puxatani Phil in his own language called <laughs> Groundhoggies. <laughs> 
The vice president, so the way it works is the vice president of the inner circle prepares two scrolls in advance of the actual ceremony, one proclaiming six more weeks of winter and one proclaiming an early spring. At daybreak on February 2nd, Puxatawney Phil awakens from his burrow on Gobbler's Knob, um, <laughs> is put on top of a stump by his handlers, um, and then talks to the president of the inner circle in his language, Groundhoggies. Um, and tells the president if he's seen his shadow. The president of the inner circle is the only person who is able to understand Groundhog Keys because he possesses an ancient acacia wood cane that interprets Phil's message. And then he directs the vice president to read the the scroll, the proper scroll, Mm -hmm. to the crowd Mm -hmm. um, and to the masses of what they call Faith Phil followers. Um, and that is then in turn broadcast to the entire world. Well, that sounds like foolproof magic. I, you can't argue with that. So I knew that like it's like oh they go see the groundhog, they see if he sees the shadow, yada yada. I didn't know about this whole ceremony where they talk to the groundhog. That there are <laughs> scrolls. I didn't know about any of this. Um, but it's kind of all a ruse. The inner circle scripts the <gasps> groundhog day cell. Crips the Groundhog Day ceremony in advance, and the inner circle decides beforehand whether or not Phil will see his shadow, and it's kept a secret until that day. Um, the inner circle maintains what's called kayfabe through the year, never acknowledging the ruse, and it ke- keeps its criteria for whether spring will arrive early a secret. So they kind of look around and they're like, Do we think we need some spring? Yes, no, noted, and then they decide. <laughs> Um, the Storm Facts Almanac has made note of the weather conditions on each Groundhog Day since 1999. The Almanac has recorded 12 incidents in a 20-year span in which the inner circle said the Groundhog saw his shadow while the sky was cloudy. <laughs> um, or there was rain or snow. And one case said the Groundhog did not see his shadow despite sunshine. So because they pick ahead of time, 13 out of 20 times in the last 20 years, they've picked something that did not make sense for what the weather was was that day <laughs> maybe they should have watched the weather channel the practice and lore of Puxatani's phil's predictions are predicated um on a light-hearted suspension of disbelief by those involved like everyone in the town is just like we all know this is fake but we love Puxatani phil so it doesn't matter um according to the lore Oh, this is this is my favorite. There is only one Phil, and all other groundhogs are imposters. <laughs> it is claimed that Phil, the one and only groundhog, has lived to make weather weather prog- prognostications since 1886, um, and he has been sustained by drinks of groundhog punch or elixirs of life um, that is given to him at the annual groundhog picnic in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not the same Phil. I hate to tell you this. The lifespan of a groundhog is roughly six years. <laughs> not a hundred and... What is that? 34 years? But, wow, we love Phil. There is one and only... He's the one and only He's Phil. immortal. He's immortal. Um, in 1995, Phil flew to Chicago for a guest appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show, <laughs> which aired on Groundhog Day um, in February 2nd, 1995, which was just before we were born. Mm-hmm. So we weren't alive to see Pucks and Tony Phil's Oprah appearance. But I bet my mom watched that. Yeah, me too. My mom loved the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah, so did mine. All right. So we were in we in our mom's bellies. We watched <laughs> Pucks and Tony Phil on television. 
On in March 13th, I'm going to tell you about all the times Phil's been indicted. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. A Butler County, Ohio prosecutor named Michael Gmoser made international headlines after issuing an indictment against the groundhog by email <laughs> calling for the death penalty for, quote, misrepresentation of an early spring, an unclassified felony, and against the peace and dignity of the state of Ohio. Um, on that day in March, the maximum temperature of the day within the region was close to a record low. So it was the coldest it had ever been with with snow, and temperatures were predicted to remain below seasonal averages for at least the next several days. Um, and that year, Phil had said that spring was coming. <laughs> he lied. However, they did not indict the beloved Ohio groundhog, Buckeye Chuck, who also <laughs> failed to see his shadow. The prosecutor later stated that he would consider a pardon because Phil's handler, Bill Dealey, the current president of the Puxatawney Groundhog Club's inner circle, was taking the blame for the mistake because he failed to inc- correctly interpret Phil's groundhoggies. <laughs> Dealey noted that the indictment had generated more publicity than a $10,000 campaign ad. Of course. On February 11th, 2015, the Merrimack Police Department in New Hampshire issued issued an arrest warrant for Puxatawney Phil for having to fail to disclose the extreme amounts of snow that would ensue after Groundhog Day. (laughs) (laughs) On March 21st, 2018, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Pennsylvania issued an arrest warrant for Puxatawney Phil for deception, citing that winter was only supposed to last six more weeks, which means it should have ended on March 16th, and the county suffered a snowstorm on the second day of spring. <laughs> Puxatawney's fill statistics are kept by the Pennsylvania's Groundhog Club, which cares for the animal during the year. Since 1887, Phil has only predicted an early spring 20 times, um, but we are missing records for nine years between 1889 and 1899. In 1942, what was called war clouds, so it was just like, I literally think it was that, like, the environment was kind of shot from World War II, mm-hmm. um, prevented Phil's prediction, and he did not make an appearance in 1943. <laughs> he was like, I'm not coming out. He was, they couldn't find him. He's fighting in the war. He was. He <laughs> served our troops. Um, while the inner circle claims a 100% accuracy rate, the National Centers for Environmental Information, using a basic metric of above normal temperatures for early spring and below normal for winter, placed Puxatawney Phil's accuracy at 40% um, between 2009 and 2019. Meteorologist Tim Roche of Weather Underground gave him a 36% accuracy rate between 1969 and 2016. A Middlebury College team found that a long-term analysis of temperature high and low predictions were 70% accurate, although when the groundhog predicted early spring, it was usually wrong. (laughs) Canadian meteorologist Cindy Day has estimated that Nova Scotia's, get rid of this, Shubinakity Sam, sure, Shubenakity, yeah, Shubenakity Sam, has an accuracy rate of 45% compared to 25% for Weirton Willie in oh. Ontario. Um, Sam has the best accuracy. Other predicting groundhogs include Staten Island Chuck, who gained notoriety in 2009 when he bit New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg on the <laughs> finger, which I actually remember <laughs> um, during the city's Groundhog Day event. Um, As New York's only genuine groundhog, Chuck resides in relative luxury with his own cabin 
at the Central Park Zoo. Wow. Um, General Beauregard Lee lives in Atlanta, Georgia on a plantation. Bo has been the go-to groundhog forecaster for the southeastern seaboard. Um, he opens his groundhog hotline at 6 a.m. every February 2nd so that anxious fans around the globe may receive his prediction by telephone. Um, the University of Dallas has celebrated Groundhog Day as their official school holiday since 1963. They have a weekend festival that culminates with a party in Groundhog Park. The University of Dallas Groundhog Celebration is thought to be the second largest in the United States after the one in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. In Ontario, the albino groundhog Willie gets a three-day winter festival that concludes with his pronouncement. Willie travels with an entourage of weather <laughs> advisors during the festival. <laughs> Rumors of scandal have cropped up around Weirton Willie over the years, including an unconfirmed report that the untimely death of the original groundhog in 1999 resulted in a stuffed dummy being hastily <gasps> substituted for the late rodent at the 1999 festival. I'm just like, okay, first of all, R.I.P. Willie. Second of all, these are just animals. And like, what do they think is going on? <laughs> they're, they're going around with entourages at big festivals. And they're just like, I'm surrounded by tall, strange creatures. Don't know what's happening. They're- One day after the apocalypse, when we lose like half of our information, um, we are like some new civilization is going to pop up and they're going to be like, their god was the groundhog. Like, that's what they're going to think. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that tweet that's like someday someone's gonna f- like in the in a post-apocalyptic world some aliens are gonna find disney world and they're gonna be like what was this strange mouse worshiping kingdom that's so true there are even castles there oh my god that's super true that's really funny <laughs> this strange mouse worshiping worshiping kingdom that is everything i have on groundhog day Wow. I had no idea there were so many layers to it. There really are. So much lore. So much lore. That is everything. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've Been Wondering.com, where we post things about our episodes. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to us straight through Anchor. There is a link in the bio of this episode. Or, even better, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out there. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I'veBeenWonderingPodcast at gmail.com, and we would love to answer your questions. So, Jane, Mm -hmm. you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I keep... I, I hate to keep asking you about holidays, but, I mean, the Super Bowl's not a holiday. I just talked about a holiday. So, yeah. it's time for you to talk about a holiday. Okay. So, our next episode comes out um, just a few days before Valentine's Day. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what other holidays are there? <laughs> there's there's also President's Day. There's multiple <laughs> options. I was like, there are not any holidays for me to talk about. That would be relevant. <laughs> um, and sure. I want to know about Valentine's Day. Like, where did it come from? Why do sure. we celebrate it? You know. It sounds great. Yeah. I want to know more about that. My Galentine. <gasps> My Galentine. Mm-hmm. Aww. Um, Sarah, do you know what I've been wondering about? What have you been wondering? I feel like... We've talked about similar topics to this in the past, mm-hmm. but I just don't really know a lot about this, and I, 
I've heard a couple people talk about it recently in the past week, and I just want to understand it better. I'm a four. I don't know. Yeah, sure. We haven't talked about things like this in a while. This will be good. Yeah. Alrighty, that sounds great. That's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.